everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the Progress Podcast. I'm Martin Longman, along with my co-host Brendan Squire. Hey, folks. Hey, Marty. How's it going? I don't know. It's uh, it's been going all right. How's it been going with you? It's been all right. It's been a long couple of weeks. I finally ran that marathon I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, I've only done one other race like that, and that was way back in 2017. And um, so it was kind of like my first time all over again, but. I managed to cut my time by 12 minutes, which is oh, crazy wow. in itself. I'm 53 years old. And, uh, but I got a head and chest cold just a few days before. Okay. And I mean, like the Thursday before the race, it, it hit me. And I managed to willpower that sucker into submission by race day, uh, cutting my time. Uh, two days later, it came roaring back, though. Woo-hoo. The other thing is I play with a band here in Philly called the No Good Crowd. Uh, it's 90s style indie rock, all original. And we just released a single. Um, it's online. And you can also order vinyl. We have a seven inch that just arrived, uh, numbered copies. And you can find all that at the no good crowd, all one word, dot bandcamp.com. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll toss up the outro music a little bit uh, today and, and, and play some of the play a clip from uh, one of the tunes on there. But uh, like the song says, man, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So let's get started. All right. We got a big show. We got George Santos' premature ejection from Congress. <laughs> we got uh, Kevin McCarthy's ongoing humiliation. Uh, we have some more thoughts on Israel and a doozy of an update on Moms for Liberty. Oh, and of course, there's also Henry Kissinger, who dropped dead at the overripe, overripe old age of 100 as did Sandra Day O'Connor. Wait, 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 wait a minute. She was, she was still alive? Because I thought she went to meet her maker a long time ago. Yeah, I think it's a sign that she wasn't that bad, that I didn't really care one way or another if she was alive. But yeah, she, she would remember, though, was on the wrong side of the corrupt 5-4 Bush v. Gore case that, that really destroyed the credibility of the Supreme Court. And without her vote, on that, we probably never would have had four years of Bush Cheney, let alone eight long, torturous years of Bush Cheney. Yeah, but she was a trailblazer, first woman on the Supreme Court and all that. But yeah, too bad she uh, she helped wreck the institution. Yeah, quite a legacy. But as I said, she wasn't all bad. She she saved Roe v. Wade for another 30 years with the Casey decision. And she wasn't a maniac about affirmative action, just a just to give two examples where she was better than any Republican nominated member of the current court. Well, anyway, she's dead 93 and Kissinger is dead at 100. And I definitely knew he was still alive because I've been waiting a long time for him to die. <laughs> yeah. You and a lot of other people, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but as soon as the news hit about Kissinger, my phone like absolutely blew up with text from like all over and they were all basically saying the same thing which is like ding dong the witch is dead the wicked criminal is dead it's like usually people are a little more reticent to just openly dance on someone's grave but something about kissinger man just gave people permission I mean, my 19-year-old, my 19-year-old was the one who broke the news to me over text, and it was all caps and like a million exclamation points. And I am, I am not ashamed to admit that I yelled "woohoo" in a crowded bar when I read it. Oh <laughs> uh, 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 man, I think, I think people felt like they could do that because partly because he's 
he was so old, you know, it's not like you could say the Lord took him too soon. What was his age? And, and, and let's face it, his body count, right. the dude had a hand in hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of deaths. Ackerman, Spencer Ackerman and Rolling Stone said, uh, said he was responsible for up to 4 million deaths from Bangladesh, Vietnam and Cambodia, Indonesia, Chile, the Kurds in Iraq. And, you know, for Chile alone, the hell with Henry. I was a Spanish minor in college, and, and the literature we read, a lot of fiction, from the time delved deep into what Penichet did, and all of which was brought to you by Henry Kiss My Assinger. Henry Kiss My Assinger! Henry Kiss My Assinger! Henry Kiss My Assinger! Henry Kiss My Assinger! I mean, he killed Victor Hara, that son of a bitch. Right. I mean, as I wrote about at ProgressPond.com, he, he basically mentored both sides of the political establishment. I mean, at one point in the early 21st century, it was like every major foreign policy officer in D.C. had worked for Kissinger. Like either they worked for him at the State Department, they worked for him when he was uh, at, at the National Security Council, or some of them just worked at his private consulting group, uh, Kissinger Associates. And... Uh, I mean, he basically mentored like two or three generations of the foreign policy establishment. And of both parties. Obama yeah. and Clinton loved Kissinger as much as Bush and Nixon. Yeah, both parties. And he imparted the kind of values to them that led to those deaths in East Timor and those bombings in Cambodia and that fascist coup in Chile. Which is how you get to something like the war in Iraq, attacking a country not because they had anything to do with 9-11, but more to, as Tom Friedman famously said, to make Arabs suck on this. We needed to go over there, basically, um, and um, uh, take out a very big stick um, right in the heart of, of that world and, um, and burst that bubble. And there was only one way to do it, because part of that bubble said, we've got you. This bubble is actually going to level the balance of power between us and you because we don't care about life. We're ready to sacrifice, and all you care about are your stock options and your Hummers. And what they needed to see was American boys and girls going house to house, from Basra to Baghdad, um, and basically saying, which part of this sentence don't you understand? You don't think, you know, we care uh, about our open society? You think this bubble fantasy, we're just going to let it grow? Well, suck on this, okay? That, Charlie, was what this war was about. We could have hit Saudi Arabia. It, it was part of that bubble. Could have hit Pakistan. We hit Iraq because we could. That's the real truth. Yeah, part of that Freeman quote was from the Charlie Rose show. Yeah, good old Charlie Rose there. Uh, he, he was once so respected, and now he's mostly known more for sexual harassment, groping people, and making lewd phone calls. Right, right. Yeah, so he's on that show way back when with Charlie Rose. And part of the quote he said, other than the suck on this part, he said, you know, we could have hit Saudi Arabia. We, we could have hit Pakistan. Um, but we hit Iraq because we could. You know, I mean, that was the kind of reasoning. Like, we hit them because we could. Not because they were responsible for 9-11 yeah. or anything. We just hit them because we could. Yep. And that's like, to me, that's like the perfect ex expression of Kissinger's legacy. You know, we should do things even if they're immoral or even if they, they simply don't even make sense. I mean, just to send a message. Yeah, or to avoid sending a message. Yeah, right. Like, let's fight in Vietnam for a few more years just to get a, quote, decent interval 
between when we give up and leave and when the Vietnamese government, you know, collapses. Maybe if it collapses in six months instead of three, people won't notice that we lost the war. Yeah. Yeah. And the sacrifice of all those American kids killed by the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong is it's totally worth it. You know, dude, growing up in the 1980s, you know, I grew up in Newport, Rhode Island, which was, you know, before it was, you know, well, pardon me, after it, its glory days in the 1920s and before it became what it is now, just a tourist destination, that was a big Navy town, big Navy town. There's a base there. My dad worked uh, on, as a contractor with IBM. I think I've mentioned that before. But growing up in the 1980s, more than a few of my friends had uncles and sometimes dads who were completely mentally damaged by Vietnam. I remember my friend's uncle, we'd see that guy all over town and uh, you'd see him basically like tr pushing against telephone poles, like trying to hold them up. And his eyes just had like this 50 yard stare and, and I never knew who the guy was until high school. And then it turned out it was my friend Ted's uncle and uh, he'd, he'd had his mind blown in, in Vietnam and, and, and for what, right. You know, you know, basically promoting Kissinger's career. You know, and, and, and frankly, frankly, and this is probably going to offend a few people, but, but that's life, I guess. But speaking as someone who has Jewish roots on my dad's side, even though I don't really identify as Jewish, I'm, you know, I'm not officially Jewish, but my mom wasn't, but I'm sorry, Kissinger is an embarrassment. There's a, there's a, a, a concept in Judaism called tikkun olam, um, healing the world. And Kissinger was the, he didn't live up to that at all. I don't think he even tried. And it's, yeah. you know, a, a nice little kid like Anne Frank goes to the gas chambers and a piece of trash like Kissinger gets out in the nick of time and lives to kill as many people as Hitler, almost as many people as Hitler. Yeah, so, so I'm glad he's dead. And if anybody wants to criticize me, you know, bring it on. Bottom line is, is Kissinger was just a malevolent force and, and a malevolent influence and stain on our country. Oh, yeah. Oh, and speaking of malevolent forces and stains... George Santos was finally, finally booted out of Congress. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. I mean, I'm checking my notes here, and the vote was 311 to 214 with two voting present and eight not voting at all. And that, that was more than the two-thirds needed to expel him. Right. But still, did you notice that just among Republicans, the vote was 112 to 105 to let Santos stay in office. So a majority of them were more interested in having Santos's vote than any backlash they might get for giving him a pass. And I mean, the backlash should be considerable. This, this Santos lied about every single aspect of his life. I, I took a look at the, uh, the DOJ's 23 count superseding indictment just to get myself up to speed. And uh, it, it looks like Santos committed every crime in the book. Oh yeah. I mean, let me, let me read from that. He, he had one count of conspiracy to commit offenses against the United States two counts of wire fraud, two counts of making materially false statements to the Federal Election Commission, two counts of falsifying records submitted to obstruct the FEC, two counts of aggravated identity theft, and one count of access device fraud. And that, that was the superseding indictment. The that just indictment, keeps going, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that was the original indictment was seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, Two counts of making uh, and two counts of making false statements to the House of Representatives. So it's just a laundry list. And the dude lied about being Jewish, or pardon me, Jewish, yeah, um, about being a star volleyball player in college. About where or even if he went to college, 
He lied about where he went to high school. He lied about working for Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. He lied about founding an animal charity. I also heard he wrote the Declaration of Independence and his girlfriend is Morgan Fairchild. The following is a public service message from Pathological Liars Anonymous. Hello, my name is Tommy Flanagan and I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm the president of that organization. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised how many famous people belong. Well, in, in fact, at uh, one of the meetings, I met my wife, uh, Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> yes, I, I'm a changed man now, and, and it's all because of Pathological Liars Anonymous. Why, I, I even have my uh, picture on the cover of Newsweek magazine. Yeah, every day. <laughs> Yeah, that's a ticket. The dude ripped off a Navy veteran. Like, did you hear this? This Navy veteran had a sick dog. He he volunteered to do a fundraiser for him, and then he kept the money. Oh, that's great. Oh, my God. Then he goes out to, like, uh, Amish country and buys a puppy or puppies from this Amish family, gives him a bad check. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my God! I the my favorite thing I think though this one I just heard about is there there's this uh, house uh, house member from Ohio Max Miller, and Republican or Democrat? This guy's a Republican, and uh, he was he was talking right after or right before he got expelled, and he was bitching that Santos stole his his mom's or his and his mom's credit card info. Okay, so this is after he got to Congress. He stole this congressman's credit card info and congressman's mom's credit card info <laughs> then you know what he did he 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 used it to give his own campaign contributions oh but my god he did it in such like you know there's a a limit to how much you can legally give yeah of course he exceeded that for both of them so so it basically turned them into criminals right so they had to go out <laughs> and get lawyers this is his colleague right Dude, this is just, this isn't even screwing over a Democrat. This is screwing no. over one of his own colleagues. Yeah, so you're <laughs> wondering why they voted him out. <laughs> oh but still, oh. still, more than half of them were okay with keeping him on. More than half. I know, <laughs> I know. I, I'm wondering is like, is that because they're afraid they're they're going to be next? Like they're going to get expelled because they got their own problems, or is it just that they didn't want to lose his vote? You know. You know, honestly, I wouldn't put it past the freedom caucus, freedom uh, to embark on an expelathon against their perceived enemies. You know, like some kind of malevolent, malevolent Oprah. You're expelled, and you're expelled, and you're expelled. Yeah. But yeah, his his vote is kind of important um, to the Republicans. They're down to now, like what, a three vote margin? Yeah. Like they can only lose three GOP votes and still pass a bill if the Democrats are united in opposition to something. Which they generally will be. I mean, especially with the upcoming spending bills to avoid a government shutdown. So it's getting tight. It's getting tight. And then there's this other rep from Ohio, uh, Bill Johnson, not Mike Johnson from uh, Louisiana, Louisiana, not the speaker, uh, Bill Johnson, who's quitting to become a university president at Young, Youngstown State. And then, of course, you got everybody's uh, best friend, Kevin McCarthy, who's making noises about quitting early and finding, finding his next rift. <laughs> Did you see those photos of his dogs at the district office? I mean, there's this photo of him and his dogs, and the district office is like all cleaned out. It's hilarious. It's yeah. like equal parts hilarious and pathetic. The pictures are all off the walls. He's yeah. got. He look. I think there's big boxes behind him. 
Yeah. All I know, all I know is I wouldn't stick around if I went from being second in line to the presidency to, you know, getting stuck back being a no account backbencher from bumfuck California. You know, but I guess Mike Kevin is what he's got just a few more days to decide because California's filing deadline's coming up, right? Whether he's going to seek another term again. Yeah, it's coming right up. And um, I, I'm thinking if he doesn't run again, he's probably just going to leave Congress, you know, like soon. I'll bet. The New York Times says that poor Kevy Keds is having a hard time. I'm going to I'm going to quote here. These days, Mr. McCarthy, famous for his preternaturally sunny California disposition, yeah. has been hard to cheer up. He has also struggled to make peace with the idea that it's time to go, even as California's December 8th filing deadline to run for re-election draws near and his colleagues expect him to leave. Oh, the pathos, the pathos. I mean, he will look kind of like a punk if he stays. Um, you know, it's not like he's respected by the current leadership. Oh, not at all. I mean, it's like Pelosi. Pelosi left, but she left on her own terms, you know. It was her yep. choice. And uh, she's still respected by the current leadership of the Democratic Party. It's like they consult her, you know, uh, they value her strategic brilliance. Yep. Uh, but Kevin's like used up. He's a nobody again. Yeah. And, and I mean, but these seats, uh, the Santos seat, the Youngstown State dude seat and maybe McCarthy's seat, they will eventually be filled in special elections. But if they're all vacant at the same time, uh, which they could be soon, um, then Speaker Johnson will be down to like a one vote margin. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and that means like any single lunatic, whether it's Matt Gates, whether it's Paul Gosar, whether it's Margie, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, any any one of them can single handedly veto anything Johnson wants to do. And um, that's yeah. And that Santos seat on Long Island, that's a possible Democratic pickup whenever that special election occurs. Uh, I think that's coming up in late February, most likely. I sure as hell hope the Democrats win that seat, and it's a Biden seat. Uh, but ever since 2020, Long Island's been creaming hard to the right, and so you never know. Yeah. Speaking of the hard right, though, the New York Times reported that the Netanyahu regime in Israel knew about Hamas's plans for a year and did not do anything. Wait, what did you say? They said that the Netanyahu regime knew about Hamas's attack, their attack plans for a year. They even had a blueprint for the attacks, which turned out to be highly accurate. Jesus. Let's hold off on the rest for just a minute, because that is just so much like Bush's you covered your ass line from 9-11. Yep. You know, when the uh, when CIA briefers told Bush, George W. Bush, that bin Laden wants to hijack airplanes and Bush was like, oh, cool. You know, thanks. Let me get back to my golf game now. It's worse, actually, because Bush didn't spend 15 years supporting Hamas like in a cynical bid to prevent a two-state solution. Um, I'm going to read from this here because it's amazing. This is from the Times article. Israeli, yep. officials, Israeli officials obtained Hamas's battle plan. They actually obtained the battle plan um, for the October 7th terrorist attack more than a year before it happened. Um, Israel military and intelligence officials dismissed the plan as aspirational, considering it too difficult for Hamas to carry out. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's a 40-page doc, page document. How would that work out for him? Oh, my God. So an approximately 40-page document, which the Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall, and, and an outline point by point exactly the kind of devastating invasion that led to the deaths of around 1,200 people. 
The translated document described a methodical assault designed to overwhelm the fortifications around the Gaza Strip, take over Israeli cities, and storm the key military bases, including a division headquarters. Here's a really amazing thing. So Hamas followed this blueprint with shocking precision. The document called for a barrage of rockets at the outset of the attack, which that's how they distracted them. Yep. Then, then they it called for drones to knock out the security cameras and the automated machine guns along the border, which they did that. Then the, they had gunmen pour into Israel en masse in paragliders, which you saw them paraglide into that festival, right? Yep. On, on motorcycles and on foot, all of which happened on October 7th. So all of it, right? Yeah. And, so this comes out. And then just like the Bush administration, who, you know, ignored the CIA's warnings about bin Laden, uh, Netanyahu and his allies have shamelessly followed up this colossal intelligence failure by claiming, like, we're the only ones who can keep Israel safe. It's it's so disgusting. We were both already calling for Netanyahu's ejection from power. And uh, I know his approval ratings are in free fall. I've been digging into polling. Um, yeah. You're much better at polls than I am, but uh, I've been digging into it a little bit. And according to to Israeli outlets like Haaretz and the Times of Israel and the Washington Post, that goes it as well. Something like 80% of Israelis want BB gone. Yeah. Uh, but the guy manages to hang on like a like a freaking tapeworm or a deer tick. That's and, sure. and and look, I'm I'm not about to excuse Hamas from its crimes. They're 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 terrorists, they're murderers, they're 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 awful pieces of shit. But Absolutely. but you know, I, I, I can't believe I'm going to quote Donald Trump. I cannot believe I'm going to quote Donald Trump. But remember that stupid snake poem he used to recite during 2016? Remember that piece of crap that he used against against immigrants? Yeah. I saved you, cried that woman, and you've bitten me heavens why. You know your bite is poisonous, and now I'm going to die. No, shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. Right. And the reason I'm quoting that is because that's basically what Netanyahu did, isn't it? Sure. He made an alliance of convenience with a group that specifically wants to wipe Israel off the map. It's like their mission statement. Yeah. And he empowered Hamas for nearly 15 years so he wouldn't have to deal with a two-state solution. And he wound up with 1,200 dead Israelis. Go figure. Go figure, Marty. The folks that said they were going to de destroy Israel didn't turn out to be reliable partners. How did that happen? Netanyahu needs to go, and he needs to go now. He has he has no credibility. His, his strategy is a failure. He didn't keep anybody safe. He didn't keep anybody safe. And now it, it, it's 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 very difficult to talk about. You know, I, I kind of get that the Israelis, like particularly those aligned with Netanyahu, that they didn't believe this intelligence about the coming attack. I mean. They really had two problems. The first one was that they they didn't give Hamas enough respect. You know, they didn't think they were capable of doing what was in the attack plans. Yeah. Um, this, the second thing was they had convinced themselves that Hamas wasn't interested in an attack. And that's the thing that's kind of weird for me as an American, because, you know, I'm pretty far removed from from this. But I, it's hard for me to understand like how they convinced themselves that Hamas no longer wanted to destroy them at the first opportunity. I mean, they, the, through this whole period, they constantly called Hamas terrorists. They constantly said they were bent on the destruction of Israel. But I guess they generally stopped believing it themselves. 
So, so they didn't think Hamas had the motive and they didn't think they had the capability. Right. Well, they were wrong on both counts. And to be frank, freaking moronic. That's like Ukraine or Poland imagining Russia would never, ever consider it invading them again, even though, you know, Russia's on record as saying that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm not exactly some political or strategic genius, Marty, but even a dumb dumb like me would have assumed I had an enemy at the gate. It's some serious magical thinking. I mean, maybe they looked at it like this. They they tamed the Palestinian Authority, right? Um, they co- or co-opted them. Uh, I, I, the PLO is helping them police the West Bank instead of hijacking cruise ships or, or shooting Olympic athletes, right? So yeah. they're thinking, oh, well, we'll tame Hamas too. You know, We'll leave them in charge of Gaza and even allow Qatar to prop up their operations and then maybe they'll become more concerned with trash pickup than you know the alaska mosque right um <laughs> that's like it's all part of netanyahu's plan to keep the palestinians divided the palestinian authority weak hamas strong and it's also like you said so he doesn't have to agree to a two-state solution and it all blew up in his face yes. and now after a week without fighting and a lot of hostages getting released the truce or ceasefire, whatever they're calling it, failed, and the fighting is back on. And, and oh, this, this time, this time, supposedly, the Israelis are going to be a lot more cautious about killing civilians. Here's what worries me about this. I mean, we have our Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, over there, right? Right. So he gives a press conference in Tel Aviv, and he says, well, let's look at a little clip. The way Israel defends itself matters. It's imperative that Israel act in accordance with international humanitarian law, and the laws of war, even when confronting a terrorist group that respects neither. In my meetings today with the Prime Minister and senior Israeli officials, I made clear that before Israel resumes major military operations, it must put in place humanitarian civilian protection plans that minimize further casualties of innocent Palestinians. That means taking more effective steps to protect the lives of civilians including by clearly and precisely designating areas and places in southern and central Gaza where they can be safe and out of the line of fire. It means avoiding further significant displacement of civilians inside of Gaza. It means avoiding damage to life-critical infrastructure, like hospitals, like power stations, like water facilities. And it means giving civilians who have been displaced to southern Gaza the choice to return to the north as soon as conditions permit. There must be no enduring internal displacement. We discussed the details of Israel's ongoing planning, and I underscored the imperative to the United States that the massive loss of civilian life and displacement of the scale that we saw in northern Gaza not be repeated in the south. And he's making all these promises, right? Israel's not going to use such heavy bombs or bombs so indiscriminately in densely populated areas. They're not going to allow, or they are going to allow, more humanitarian aid. They're going to um, they're going to leave the schools and the power stations and the water plants and the, U- uh, the United Nations facilities and the hospitals. They're going to leave those alone. Right. This is what Blinken's saying, you know? Yeah. And then what if Israel does none of those things, you know, because I don't believe they're going to do those things or not do those things. And it's going to make the United States look either weak or, or com- stupid or, or complicit. Well, looking at the CNN article on this Blinken trip, it looks like Israel's already broken one of those promises. I'm quoting here. Blinken specifically said that Washington wants Israel to permit civilians who fled to southern Gaza in the first wave of fighting to head back north before Israel resumes operations. 
I mean, that that simply did not happen. And the second half of that was that Blinken said that he had called for the provision of safe areas in the heavily populated South to allow Palestinians to escape Israeli bombardments. But less than a day after that press conference, the fighting started again. So there was no time to make any provision for safe areas in the South. I saw that uh, Hamas was blamed for the resumption of violence because they fired rockets even before the truce was scheduled to be over. But then I saw a different reason. Uh, Israeli government spokesperson Elon Levy held a press briefing, and he said, unfortunately, Hamas decided to terminate the pause by failing to release all the kidnapped women. Having chosen to hold on to our women, Hamas will now take the mother of all thumpings. And the thumping that northern Gaza received destroyed most of the housing and infrastructure. So if Elon Levy's if he's promising something worse than that, then that's not consistent with what Blinken reportedly told the Israeli cabinet. And this all leaked out. I uh, saw it published in The Guardian. Um, supposedly, Blinken said in a in the private cabinet meeting with the Israelis, quote, you can't operate in southern Gaza the way you did in the north. Um, and he said that there are two million Palestinians there in the south and you need to evacuate fewer people from their homes. And you need to be more accurate in your attacks. You need to not hit UN fa- uh, facilities. And you have to ensure that there are enough protected areas for civilians. And if you can't do those things, then just you can't attack the civilian population. You can't attack where there are civilians. So that's supposedly what he told him in private. Yeah, well, at the same time, the administration, the Biden administration, as opposed to putting any conditions on the big aid packets they're putting together in Congress. I I really don't get it. It 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 just it just boggles the mind. But it does. Look, we got to move on. It's not like the Israeli Gaza issue is going away. I'm sure we'll have plenty to say in future episodes. I want to pivot to something that doesn't make my heart hurt, no matter what angle I look at it from. Uh, I want to jump onto a topic that makes my heart throb with the sheer unadulterated joy of Schadenfreude. <laughs> Can we talk about Moms for Liberty again? Uh, because we really need to touch base with those cuckoo birds. <laughs> Oh, man, what happened this time? All right. First, I got to bring us back to one of our earliest episodes. Uh, do you remember when uh, Moms for Liberty did a conference here in Philly at the Museum for the American Revolution? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So quick refresher for anyone living under a rock. These are the book banning, school board infesting, LGBTQ plus child hating, teacher stalking, all in the name of protecting the children, astroturf fake grassroots organization that's been in the news for the past few years. They suck worse than a broken vacuum. And we learned earlier this week that like most moral skulls, they are up to their eyeballs in immorality. Oh, this is going to be gross, isn't it? I'm going to feel dirty after whatever it is you're going to say. Oh, dude, it's 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 not just one doozy. It's several doozies. <laughs> OK, first of all, it turns out that the head of the Philadelphia chapter isn't even a mom. His name is Philip Fisher, Jr., He's a pastor, a Republican ward leader, and wait for it, wait for it. He's a for real registered sex offender. Oh, what the actual living. Yeah, yeah. Fisher here was convicted in 2012 when he was 25 on a felony charge of aggravated sexual abuse of a 14-year-old boy. Oh, more boy <laughs> And according to the Philly Inquirer, 
Fisher says he did nothing wrong, despite pleading guilty to one of 12 counts filed on him. They have they have court records. That creep can roll, man. Yeah, but he's a pervert, dude. Yeah. No, he's a sex offender with a record. He did six months of Chino for exposing himself to an eight-year-old. Huh. If molesting children is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> Uh, so I'm wondering how the Museum of the American Revolution, which gave this pervert and his friends a platform, feels about uh, their decision to host him. <laughs> I'm wondering how their donors feel about it. I mean, yeah. Henry Louis Gates gave him a pile of money for their exhibit in, on colonial black history. I doubt he wants his name attached to that. Yeah. American Airlines, the Pennsylvania Department of Education. A whole lot of people have got to be embarrassed by the situation with the museum. But, dude, it gets even better because now we're moving from the local chapter to the national leadership. How's that? Well, it turned out that uh, that Christian Ziegler, who's married to the Moms for Liberty, the Moms for Liberty founder, and who is also Florida's GOP chairman, has been accused of, and again, we're going to wait for it, wait for it. He's been accused of rape and sexual battery. And guess who's making the accusation? I'm afraid to ask. Is it is it a teenager? No, no, no. He's not quite as bad as Matt Getz, and that's a low bar. No, no. It's the Ziegler's longtime female partner in what was an ongoing menage a trois. This organization, the Florida Center for Government Accountability, had the scoop, and it's been picked up by the Washington Post, uh, the Sarasota Times, and a bunch of other papers. Florida Center for Government uh, Accountability wrote that, quote, both the woman and Bridget Ziegler, that's Christian's husband, uh, Christian's wife rather, independently told police that they engaged with Christian Ziegler in a three-way sexual encounter for more than a year before the incident, according to a search warrant uh, released on Friday. Bridget Ziegler was expected to show up at the victim's home for a threesome planned on the day of the incident. So she was they were supposed to have a threesome when the rape happened, but she was unable to make it, according to the police. Forensics then got a search warrant for Christian's cell phone, and they're going through it. But guess what else? Oh, Lord, what? Our man here may have secretly videotaped his threesomes. Because of course, right? Yeah. But to be honest, I'm kind of like, why secretly? And if your wife is into that thing, she's probably into watching it later on the sofa, right? Maybe after burning a few books and outing a few trans teenagers. <laughs> It seems like getting consent from their menage partner was an on and off again kind of thing, you know, I mean, possibly including the filming. Well, anyway, Ziegler's lawyer says he'll be completely exonerated, but it's dude, it's got to be pretty serious because in a, in a moment of rare bipartisanship, uh, Ron DeSantis is joined with the chair of the, of the Florida state Democrats to tell the alleged rapist to step down. This whole story is completely insane. I mean, these aren't just the people demanding that pride flags and books about LGBT topics be taken off the bookshelves. Um, these are actually, this is like the founder. This is the leader of these people, like hopping into bed with another woman. I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess to you that she didn't dis just discover the joys of same-sex love yesterday. Be well, obviously, this has been going on for well over a year. Yeah, I mean... She's probably been into women her whole life. I, I bet there are a few more. I mean, it would be irresponsible not to speculate, frankly, Brennan. Oh, I have no doubt about it. I mean, you don't just wake up at 41 and decide to have bisexual threesomes with your husband, the alleged rapist, unless it's something you're already into. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. 
No, but there is something wrong with being into that and then persecuting other people who are into that. Yeah. And also, how screwed up in the head do you have to be to put on this very public front about being moral and anti-gay and, and traditional when you're into non-traditional arrangements, shall we say? And you got to know that sooner or later, something's going to come out. It always does. It's always the same with these idiots. You know, they, they get drunk on their own power, influence, whatever, and they think they can get away with anything. And, you know, like raping your threesome part. Or presenting as very straight sexually when really you're really into getting it on with other women. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, of course not. I mean, it's fine if that's who you are. Absolutely. I mean, I have many gay friends. My father's Well, gay. on that happy note, folks, we're out of here. I'm Brendan Squire with Martin Longman for the Progress Podcast. Please like and subscribe on the platform of your choice. If you like what you hear, share our show on all your social media platforms. Our intro is provided, as always, by the magnificent Royal Hounds from Nashville, Tennessee. And for today only, our outro music is provided by the No Good crowd right here in Philly. And speaking of no good, till next time, try to avoid allegedly raping your threesome partner. And remember, if life gets you down, Henry Kissinger is still dead. See you next time, everybody. Bye for now. And don't forget to like and subscribe, folks. Of course not. I mean, it's fine if that's who you are. Absolutely. I mean, I.